0: But I was so moved by this um, and what she says in her spoken word tsunami. And um, this morning, um, in her she'll begin the message for me, and I'll come right up after her. Because her message is about how all of us want to be a tsunami. How we want to be a powerful force that everyone sees exactly what God is doing in our life. But how many know the scripture says we walk by faith and not by faith? And so, so much of what God is doing in you, Stacy, and through you and for you, you cannot see. It's invisible because it is the work of God. And we all want to be a tsunami that, you know, our name and lights, but how we can make an impact one life at a time. The Hebrews writer, which most believe is the Apostle Paul, writes in Hebrews 6 and verse 10, for God is not unfair. I love that right there. That's good enough for me. Anybody with me? come on he's not unfair he will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for others as you still do our great desire is that you will just keep right on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true then you will not become spiritually dull you will not become spiritually indifferent instead you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and patience. Father, in the name of Jesus, we welcome your Holy Spirit to this word. Sir, this very small word, whatever time it fits in, 2530 30, I don't know. Whatever this small word, I pray, Lord, you would bring life into it. Holy Spirit, I just depend upon you to speak to my friends' hearts and ears into mine as well. Encourage us today that we are making a difference. Encourage us in what we're doing for the kingdom. And Lord, may we be absolutely motivated to do even more in our everyday living and the things that you've called us to. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. As the lights come down, I'll point your attention to the screens. This is Hosanna Poetry.
1: Want to be a tsunami. Sweep the shore by storm, by force, in a good way, of course, because, ladies and gentlemen, I want to change the world. Come high like the king tide, no land too wide to make this force of nature subside. So watch me as my strength collides into this lost, cold world that needs me. I will start a revolution that feeds these, all of these starving people. I will save all people all over the world. Be on every TV, YouTube stream. You'll make T-shirts about me and all my deep philosophical, quotes one of them being look out for that tsunami. Unfortunately this intro has been brought to you by real people who really say these things really feel these things and really have big selfish prideful dreams that all these things will really happen see you'd be surprised how normal it is to want to change the world save the world for christ give up your whole life clothe yourself in as much christian gear as possible so it's evident day and night that you are a bible geek jesus freak look out world you are sold out for christ but i want to tell you a story there once was a man he preached on the streets of San Francisco for over 30 years. His family lived in fear, but they kept pressing onward. He was assaulted and shot at, but never stopped preaching the gospel. But this story is not about him. Still, let me tell you more about him. This man led hundreds and thousands of homeless men and women to the Lord day in and day out. He'd pray over someone, and 10 years later, they'd come back. A deacon in the church, an owner of a woman's home, a father, a mother, a renewed soul. He's led more people to Christ than we will ever know. But the story is not about him still let me tell you more about him the homeless all loved him the beggars all knew him and when outsiders would attack him his homeless friends would protect him defend him but remember this story is not about him and i won't even tell you his name because the whole city of san francisco already knows him but what they don't know is another name this name Her name was Mrs. Lee, the wife of a dentist who practiced in Twin Peaks. And one day she was doing her chores, heard a knock at the door and went to answer. And there was a young boy standing there asking if he could sell her a vacuum cleaner. And she bought it and invited him in. She asked him about his life and found that this boy had been a heroin addict for 15 years, gangbanger thief and pimp, disrespected his mother, disrespected all his girlfriends. This man was the worst of the worst. There were people on the streets who were out to kill him. But that day, in that apartment, she asked him if he wanted to change his life. And with a salesman on one knee and a very simple prayer, he dedicated his life to Christ. And Mrs. Lee didn't know that five years later, he'd be the man leading hundreds of homeless to Christ. And Mrs. Lee didn't know that 40 years after that, I'd be telling you about the day she saved my father's life. See, I don't know if Mrs. Lee ever led someone to the Lord before that time, and I don't know if she ever did after that, but I know she opened the door for this one man, this one time, and maybe God only asked of her that. And I know for every time, If father receives a crown for leading someone to God, she in turn will be receiving one too. Cause everyone wants to be the next Billy Graham, but someone had to preach to Billy Graham too. Not all of us are going to run conventions. Not all of us are gonna lead people to Christ by the thousands, but I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Mrs. Lee. She is one of the most powerful people that's ever walked this earth to me because she saw potential where no one else did. Let a stranger into her house and no good for nothing kid. And up until this point, No one has ever heard the powerful story of Mrs. Lee, but if I could aspire to be one person, she'd be the one person I'd wanna be. God, with my whole heart, let my prayer be. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I don't care how close and I don't care how far. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do whatever, no matter how small. I don't need to be a tsunami. Let me be a raindrop that falls unnoticeably in a vastly large ocean that causes a ripple, that causes another, that causes another, until it's just like a collection of circles that perhaps causes a wave to brush against the ankle of a small boy playing on the shore, asking God that he would send a wave and tickle between his toes once more. I don't need to be that wave. I will be a raindrop. Because, God, it's you who makes the rain. God, it's you who sends the rain. And, God, I know you use every single raindrop to fill up your oceans.
0: Woo! Amen. Give God praise. So beautiful. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't want to be a tsunami. I want to be a raindrop. Can one man or woman make a difference? The year was 1941 and the place was Warsaw, Poland. A Catholic priest sat at his desk every morning with his hands on the globe of the world praying as another man who had blue eyes and was a frenzied crazy maniac by the name of Adolf Hitler marched across Europe. But that Catholic priest sat at his desk at that globe every morning and he prayed. He prayed for people he didn't know all across Europe. He prayed for people he had never seen. He prayed that somehow Jesus would use him as a light in a place that was so full of fear and absolute fright. This man heard his name was on the Gestapo list and many said, run, you're you're not a Jew. But because of his help for the Jews, because he had hidden them, because he had helped them, His name had fallen on the Gestapo list. He said, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for a friend. I will stay right here in the place that God has called me, and I will do what God has called me to do. They said he remembered the morning that he heard the Gestapo pull up outside of his place where he lived, where his pigeonhole desk sat with his globe of the world, with his hands on that globe, and he heard them marching up. They arrested Father Maximian Colby. And they took him to Auschwitz. Auschwitz at this time had become a well-oiled killing machine. A place that unfortunately books have been written about, novels have been penned about, movies have been scribed about and put on screens about. And Auschwitz was a place of ultimate death. The stench of death was in Auschwitz. But Father Maximin Kolby, Colby, a priest, was an inmate there with many Jews, and he became Jesus with skin on to them. And he loved them, and he walked with them, and he shared with them. And then one day, a man escaped from Auschwitz, and if you escaped, that was the ultimate death for the whole camp. And the commandant called everyone out into the courtyard. They stood all day, I'm abbreviating, and the sun was rearing upon them, and the men were fainting from the heat. Toward the end of the day, he said, No one will come forth and say that you did this. So I will kill 10 men and put them in the starvation bunker in the place of the one man that escaped. He began to draw numbers and the 10th man he called some men, as they were called forth cried for themselves. But the 10th man cried for his children. He said, please know my children, my wife, please, please know my children, my wife. And Father Maximine Colby broke ranks. It was the first time any man had ever broken ranks at Auschwitz, and he offered himself up to the commandant in place of this man. The commandant said, are you crazy? Are you an idiot? He said, no, I will go in his place. The books are written about those days in Starvation Bunker because people became like humans in the Starvation Bunker. They were no longer even like animals, no longer even like humans. You could hear them clawing and screaming as they starved to death. They were no longer hardly men. But the commandant in charge of the starvation bunker in this year of Auschwitz records something differently in some of the chronicles that are written, that for the first time in the history of Auschwitz, he heard faint singing coming from the starvation bunker. He heard weeping but rejoicing. When they went down into the starvation bunker, one man had been kept alive and told the story of what happened. Father Maxman Colby was dead. A sweet smile was on his face, and his eyes turned toward the heavens, as it were, with a beautiful, serene smile. And the man that survived it records that Father Maximin Colby not only led every man in there to Christ, but he led them through the valley of the shadow of death. Can one man make a difference? I don't know. You asked someone about Father Maximin Colby. Can one make man make a difference? The year was in the 1960s. Bob McAllister was in Washington, DC. He was driving down the road. He passed the Pentagon, the White House. He had served President Nixon. He had outlasted everything through Watergate. But that day driving down the road, feeling he had no purpose in life, Bob McAllister experienced the Lord Jesus Christ. It was his Damascus Road experience. He decided that day that he would do whatever God called him to do. And what God had called him to do was to go to the prison. So Bob McAllister began to go to the prison three nights out of seven in Washington, D.C. He especially felt drawn to the men on death row. One night as he turned the corner after leading Bible study, he saw a sight that even he was not prepared to see. A young man sat on death row in his bunk. Roaches were crawling over his body. The room was full of all sorts of paraphernalia that's not good. Horrible, horrible stench. The young man's hair was matted to his head as roaches crawled over him. And, Bob McAllister was stopped in his tracks and he heard Jesus speak to him and then he spoke to this man. He looked at his name on the side. It was Rusty Warmer. He knew about Rusty Wormer. Rusty Warmer had grown up without parents. Rusty Wormer had been um, befriended by an older gentleman whose name was Scar, S-K-A-A-R, and they went on a killing spree and, and brutally murdered. Rusty Warmer had little to do with some of the deaths, but he was accompanying the man that did it and he was scheduled to die. Bob McAllister looked in there and he said, Rusty, Rusty. Rusty made no moves as hair was matted and roaches crawling over his head. And finally said, Rusty, look at me. And Rusty looked up and he said, Rusty, just say Jesus. Just say Jesus. Rusty hardly made any move, but finally he uttered out the words, Jesus, very faintly, very silently. Bob began to tell him about Jesus. Bob stood there and told him who Jesus was. On Monday morning when Bob McAllister returned to the D.C. Um, federal penitentiary, when he walked down the hall of death and he looked in there, he hardly did not recognize the sight. Rusty Wormer had, had his hair cleaned. He had had it shaved off. His cell had been cleaned up. He was sitting reading his Bible. His eyes looked up and met Bob McAllister eye to eye, and he said, Bob... And I've got chills. I know the Jesus you were talking about. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. You asked Rusty Warmer, because Rusty Warmer was executed. Despite all of the appeals that went up on April 27th, he was executed. But on the way to death row, he kept asking his executioners, are you okay? I forgive you. You know I don't hold this against you. He wrote letters to those he had offended. People said he got jailhouse religion. Yes, he was in the jailhouse, and yes, he found Jesus. And last time I looked, it doesn't matter where you find Jesus; it's just the matters that you find him. Come on, somebody. Rusty Warner became a great uh, began to begin and work toward the program that helps death row inmates. Inmates. And his last words, as he looked eye to eye with everyone sitting watching his execution, was, "I wish I could go back and change what I did, but I cannot." But today I'm telling you in a few minutes, I will look my savior eye to eye, and everything will be behind me. And I give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his servant Bob McAllister. Can one man make a difference? Someone give Jesus praise. I bet you've never heard of the wor- I bet you've never heard of the name of Nicola Androndo Boc Ativio. I'm sure I, I slaughtered that. They were part of the Ottoman Empire. They loved the poor so much. That their home was full of generosity. Oh, they weren't preachers. No, um, Nicola was a cont- contractor. Dronda was a housewife. But the way they loved people so impacted the three children that survived of their five that were born that one of them at the age of 12 decided that she would give her whole life for the poor of the poorest. That she had to give her life as she has seen her parents lived out. Well, I bet you have heard of this woman's name. Her name is Mother Teresa because of the impact of her parents, she is legendary and synonymous with sacrifice, synonymous with one person make a difference. One of my favorite stories about Mother Teresa, one that was brought to my attention by Miss um, Karen Parker this week through a video was that when she went to Calcutta and began to work, I've studied her work with the lepers. I've studied because she really inspires me. I'm a social worker, wanna be, always have, and always will be. I love that in the Peace Prize that she won in 1979, they wanna put on a dinner for 192,000 to honor her like they do for all Nobel Peace Prize. And she gently but humbly refused and asked that the 192,000 be distributed to the poor that lives in Calcutta. Um, She gave her life for the lepers. She gave her life for the poor. She was Jesus with skin on. But when she went there and she saw no school for the homeless children, she took her foot. and She asked God, what can I do? And he said, start her foot and then a stick. Start writing out the alphabet in the sand. And so she began to do that and homeless children began to gather. And she began to teach them with her foot or her, her stick the alphabet. And then she opened a school. Can one woman make a difference? I believe they can. Can you make a difference? I believe that you can by using what you have, where you are, where God has placed you this day and this hour, not waiting for somewhere greater, not waiting for somewhere bigger, not waiting for somewhere that looks more powerful, but using whatever you have in your hand, despite your limitations, where you are, because Jesus is inside of you. Amen. Amen. Let's give him praise for that. He is inside of you. Another hero of mine, Henrietta Mears, living in Hollywood, California, Sunday school teacher in a Presbyterian church, Joanne, back when women were not embraced to do such a thing, she became frustrated that a lot of the singles she worked with did not have a good education biblically. And so she started in her garage, Misty, this reminds me of a Misty story almost. In her garage, she started a little publishing place. She used what she had. She began to publish the Word of God in print for other people until she grew into gospel-like publishers, one of the most effective Christian publishers of the day. Then she was frustrated that the people in Los Angeles had nowhere to go in the city. She was frustrated they didn't have the open outdoors like we did. And so she began to drive as a single woman into the beautiful San Gabriel Mountains that I've seen. She talked to God as she drove. She saw a large place of land and a big, perfect location. The gentleman that owned it had never intended to sell it, but he forgot who was talking to God about it. Come on, somebody. And then she talked to him. He sold it, and it became Forest Home, a premier spiritual conference. She wrote concordances. She wrote commentaries in a day that women were not embraced. She didn't listen to the naysayers, the doubt dealers, the fruit stealers who often tell you why you cannot. You're too young. You're too old. You're too uneducated. You've got a record behind you. You just can't do anything. She didn't listen to any of them, but she listened to Christ who said, I in you, I am more than. And enough. Come on, somebody. And my favorite moment of her life is the life before Keith Higgins. She breathed her last breath. And they said, Miss Mears, if you had it to do all over again, what would you do? She took a deep breath. And Miss Patty, she said, I would have trusted Christ more. I listened to those words and I think, are you crazy, Henrietta? You would have trusted Christ more. You did all this. But then it dawned upon me the more I studied her life, which I have, because great people inspire me. She realized she did all that by trusting in Christ. If she had even trusted him more, how much more? Look at your neighbor and say, my life is on schedule. For a few more minutes that we have out of the New King James Version, Mark 4 and 26, I want to read, and we're going to talk about three stages of your life and your seed and how you can make a difference. Jesus speaks in 4:26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed. Everyone say scatter seed. On the ground. And should he sleep by night and rise by day, that means go to bed at night. Watch this. This is about the kingdom. The seed should sprout and grow, though he himself does not know how. I want you to know right now, none of us in this room can figure out how God and what he's doing in your life through you, for you. None of us can figure it out. What he does in worship, how he touches a heart, what he does in prayer. Scientific research will never prove that. We don't even know how God does things. But let me finish. For the earth will yield crop by itself. Someone say by itself. Say first the blade, then the head, then the full grain. Someone say harvest. But when the grain ripens, immediately the farmer puts the sickle because the harvest is has come i want you to say my harvest is on schedule you see we're in stages we see in this scripture this morning about your life making a difference about you being encouraged that what god is doing in you through you and for you he's doing on time warren buffett recently is a very wealthy wealthy man most of us know that name he said people are always looking for a get rich quick scheme he said some things and all things take time everyone say take time Anyone ever had a baby in this room? Raise your hand. How long did you carry that baby? Nine months. Warren Buffett recently said, I think it's quite intelligent, that you cannot produce a baby by getting nine women pregnant and tell them to hold it for one month. Come on, somebody. Some things take time. Everyone say, take time. Destiny is not a drive through window. Destiny and what we do, and we better be careful when we let other people tell us that what God is doing in us or through us and for us, that they don't see any growth. You better shut your ears even to godly people that ever say that to you because I'm going to tell you the first stage of progress is the seed is planted. Everyone say the seed is planted. And in that, you are the seed. And what God is doing through you in the seed and what he's doing through others' life is the seed. Stay on point with me because I'm going fast. we got 15 more minutes. Listen to me. You see, in the parable, Jesus says that there's a spade that becomes before the sickle. The spade is digging up the ground. There's a time when God digs things up. There's a time when God does things. But we don't have a society that likes that. They want everything instantaneously. Everything in the tap of a button. I mean, we want to sleep with it before we put a ring on it, you know. We want to harvest now. We don't want to go go out in the field. Um, We want to do all these things. We want them now. But God says things take time. Let me tell you something. This parable says, Aaron, that the the farmer did not know how the seed came up there are things in your life right now you're going to never figure out how God is doing that in your life you never understand it but I guarantee you listen to me I love this by John Hagee it's so good it's one of my favorites you don't have to understand things or miracles to have one I bet you don't understand how a black cow eats green grass and gives white milk and produces yellow butter but it happens every day come on somebody You can't explain electricity. Few know exactly what makes electricity work, yet we do not hesitate to use it when we cannot explain it. Amen? Would you rather sit in darkness? Oh, I am not going to turn on this light. Far be it from me. I do not understand this electricity. Until I understand it all, I shall not turn on the light. I'm going to sit in darkness. I'm never going to turn on light, never going to cook in my stove. Oh, yeah. Okay, somebody's going to give you a big juicy. I'm talking Ribeye. I don't know your favorite. It is juicy. It's medium rare just the way I like it. It is seasoned powerfully and beautifully. But you sit in front of you said, no, no, no. I do not fully understand how this steak is converted to energy. I refuse to eat a bite of it. No, I bet if you're hungry, you're going to whoop that down like I have on a few times. Come on. Do you understand how that greasy cheeseburger you ate recently chased down with a chocolate shake and two portion of fries, God help you, is converted into fuel to drive your body? No one understands it. But I bet it's not stopped you from eating cheeseburger. Look at your neighbor and say, I know that's right. But we get to the things of faith and we say, if I don't understand that, how that can grow in my life. We don't understand how a baby can be in her mother's womb, how that baby is the miracle of nine months, and later she or he is born with perfect ears, nose, mouth, hands, feet, and knows exactly how to get your attention, and that baby knows where to get milk from that mama. You see, the point is, if we're only willing to to experience what our mind can understand, we will live a very shallow life, and we will not be on God's schedule. Can you say amen? Faith starts out. Before it knows how it's gonna turn out. I want you to say that. Faith starts out before it knows how it's gonna turn out. You see, we're in stages. It would be great. You ever see, you know, we synchronize our calendars. We say, everybody come here at 10:30, and we hope that works. Everybody come on Wednesday night at seven and we hope that works. We we synchronize our calendars so we'll show up at the same time. Wouldn't it be wonderful, Chris Vernon? If God would allow us to synchronize Sherry our calendars to his and say on this day your harvest is coming through on this day your breakthrough is coming through on this day all those prayers you've answered they're going to come through but it is tough to occupy with a God who does not relate to our level of patience and will not synchronize his schedule to our schedule but says I want you to walk by faith I want you to know that your blessing, your miracle, your breakthrough, your seed bringing forth a harvest is on schedule. Someone give God a hand clap of praise. That's the first one. There's only three. The second one is the seed has to go into the soil. Mrs. Lee had to invite that young man into her house. If she did nothing but win him and his legend, I love it. My favorite line, I almost memorized this just from watching her one time because it was so on point at the summit. She kept saying, but you don't know his name, but you don't need to know his name. All San Francisco knows his name. But it was Mrs. Lee who opened the door and planted the seed into the soil of Hosanna Poetry's father's heart, who gave his life for the people of San Francisco, the homeless, the gangbangers. And as you noticed, he was protected by the very people he put the seed into. And when the gangbangers came to come against his door, who stood up for him? I don't know if the police were called. I'm sure they were. have great honor for our men and women of blue. But you noticed who showed up? The homeless showed up and circled his house and stood between him and the gangbangers and said, you will not take out the man who planted the seed in the soil of our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on. Let me tell you, in the soil, second point, you are in the soil, and it's dark in the soil. And, Austin, there's times you will see God, and you will know what he's doing in your life, but most of the time, you'll have no idea. Most of the time, you will have to walk by faith. Most of the time, you will have to trust because it's dark down in that soil. But the seed is protected. Did you know in the seed in the ground, when a farmer puts a seed, my daddy has a beautiful garden, my husband is a phenomenal um, gardener, phenomenal. And uh, when I see him throwing out the seed, and then he always loves me to stand at his, we call it his devotional window, and he'll say, look over there, look at that, that's coming up. Look, that's going to come. I say, how do do you know that's going to come up, baby? I know because I planted it. You see, in the seed, those that are seed bearers, the seed is protected with a hard shell. The protection that's on you, God puts on you. But in the soil, listen to me, is when most dreams die, when most marriages give up, in the dark. Someone say in the dark. Most of God's good intention in our life give away to apathy when the soil is dark, when we can't see what God is doing. Those dreams, those jobs he's called us to. I have teachers in this room. One of the hardest jobs there is, I know, I'm a kingdom teacher, is to trust that when the word goes forth, though you can't see the seed, that he is protecting it. And that it will grow up into things that are powerful. And what he's doing in our life is powerful. But the seed has to survive the soil. Say, I am the seed. And I will survive the soil. Because that's when you're buried in the soil. When you put your seed in other people's lives. When we do things like Queen for a Day. We so see so many results. That's why people love the idea so much. We see so much results, but there's so much we don't see. We trust that what we share through testimonies and through love and giving, that God is in there and God is doing it. But listen, there's moments you feel insignificant. And I want to say again, don't you let other people tell you that your seed is insignificant. Don't you let people, even godly people, I see no growth in this area. You know what they're measuring it by? They're measuring it by what they can see. God measures things by how deep things go. Our youth leaders go and do youth camp. You don't think there's growth? Talk to some of the parents like I have and grandparents. Talk to what has come out of that we judge. Jesus had 12 disciples. Jesus walked with 12. He did not cover a vast amount of earth. Multitudes came to see him, but in his ending days, even the 12 but one deserted him. But guess what? When that seed was given its time in the soil, the Bible says in the book of Acts that those 12 men turned the world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. In moments that you Fresh your seed in moments that you wonder what God is doing in you, through you, and for you. Give the seed time. The seed is dark in that soil. It doesn't always feel so honky-dory and awesome. You see, because that's a time of uncertainty. Someone say uncertainty. Uncertainty, but say it better than I just said. Uncertainty. It's a time when doubt comes in. It's a time when you can't see things come in, when you've got to believe what you cannot see. Chris, if if you can play, come play. If not, we'll get instrumental. I'll let y'all work that out. Say, in the soil. In the soil. And I still got about eight more minutes, so hang with me. But we'll, we'll get an atmosphere here. But listen, the farmer all of a sudden, because the seed is not only protected. Say, I am. Protected. As Moses was put in the basket, he was protected. As Daniel went into the lion's den, his seed of his life was protected. As the three Hebrew children went into the fiery furnace, the seed of God was protected. As Esther walked before the king in holy fear, she was protected. Paul was protected when he was put into jail and he sung God's praises. Peter was protected when he got up and walked on the water. Jesus was protected until the time came that his seed was supposed to fall to the ground that you and I might live. You were protected. When the enemy comes in with fear and doubt and you're in the soil and you're wondering what it's all about and what is God doing in you, through you, and for you, you remember He is protecting. He is not only protecting your seed, He is giving provision. Someone say provision in that seed. In that natural seed that goes in the ground, there's provision inside that seed to feed it. The Bible says it's what's been put in you is everything you need. Say, everything I need. Come on, say, everything I need is in the seed. Say, in the seed. And that seed is the Lord Jesus Christ that is in you. That protection, that provision while you're in that soil. You know, if all of a sudden the seed, the, the, the scripture says, the farmer doesn't even know how it happened. And all of a sudden that ear of corn comes up or that wheat That okra. And it says the farmer doesn't even know he slept. Sometimes you just got to go to bed and let God do what only God can do. Come on. Sometimes you just got to lay your head. The Bible says he who keeps you does not slumber or sleep. And I think there's a rest that needs to come with what we give the kingdom. Don't judge by what you can see. The greatest thing God ever called me to do, be a wife, a mom, and to lead worship here for many years. Because leading worship is one of the hardest things. You have to walk by faith every Sunday, and I had to do it Wednesday, and I had to do it Sunday night. Because you have to trust that what God is doing, you can't see. Just our, our worship leaders, they can't see how it impacts our life through the week. We often judge just what we can see. Well, if someone yelled, if someone ran to the altar, if someone cried, that was great. But see, we judge by what we can see. God judges by what He's doing in the heart. That's why you'll always hear me thanking Him for what He's accomplishing that I cannot see. Because I know what He's done no conferences I've gone to and come away from. And everybody was looked like they were having a, you know, God's in the midst of them encounter with God. And I really was just serving people. But somewhere down the road, driving, somewhere down washing dishes, the Spirit of the Lord would just come. And I begin to weep and I would know that He's accomplished or I'd find that I had more wisdom than I used to have. Say, God is on schedule. But the farmer may say, my goodness, I can't believe that seed just sprouted up harvest is the third stage there's the seed being planted there's the time you're in the soil i could go so much longer with this but we're coming to the end and then there's the harvest that's when you see the result god will always give you those aha moments that you can see miss sherry that a student gets it miss gail that a student gets it one out of 50 That you just see, he'll give you a moment, Jay, that you know some kindness that you've given to someone. Jay's an incredibly kind person and helps just draw people into the kingdom. And you see the result of that. Those moments that the farmer would say, oh my goodness, I didn't know how that happened. And the seed just, just bumped up. But you know, if the seed could speak, I know this is crazy, but if that little seed that brought that ear of corn up could speak, it would say, well, you may not know how this all came about, but you weren't in me when I was deep into the dark of the soil. You weren't in me when I was afraid. Can I I get a witness from somebody about your life? When I didn't know where the next breath of oxygen was coming from, when I did not know when my breakthrough was coming from, you weren't with me in the soil, but he put the provision, he put the protection in my life. Most of you in this room, including myself, cannot tell each other how we survived the last hell we went through. All we know is we survived, we're alive and standing by His grace somebody give Jesus praise that moment of harvest it's coming that moment, Abraham at a hundred years old was still on schedule, your life is on schedule when you trust in God your life is on schedule when you believe in Him for Lord whatever you're doing in me because that's one thing, He's making you like Jesus Jesus Five more minutes. It's one minute to 12. Can I have five more minutes? I can I have five more minutes? Okay. I promise. So I've said this before. I want to say it again. When God spoke to Pastor Hank about pastoring here um, so many years ago, I've lost count now, 20-something plus years ago, long time. And I resisted him. But anyway, as I got on this, another story how I got on the same page with him. He heard from God he, this property was about to be purchased out mm-hmm. from underneath this. But here's the deal. I was preaching for a good friend of mine who now is so known around the world, Pastor David Cooper, and Pastor's one, Mount Perrin. It's just a famous, famous church in Atlanta. And um, I was preaching for his wife, and I was in the back seat. They were taking me out to a lovely dinner. And I said to him, Pastor David Cooper, why would God call us to Cleveland? Why Cleveland? Why not Hawaii? Come on, somebody. Why not? I mean, Pastor wanted to go to Tampa, Phoenix, Los Angeles. And I said... And you know, sometimes, Mish, I've said this before, but I hope you'll, you'll get this too, because it's really been a life lesson. Sometimes we don't know what we thought people were going to say until they say the opposite of what we thought they were going to say. I mean, you don't even realize what you're thinking about yourself. And he took a deep breath. He goes, I'll tell you why. He stopped the car and he turned around. He said, Because, and I thought he's going to say, Because you're just way too talented, you're so gifted. You and Hank both, and you're so darn cute. I mean, really, you know, we were young and cute. And you're just so gifted, and he's such an evangelist. And you you can sing a song before he preaches, and y'all just going to turn the world upside down. And I didn't know that I expected him to say that until he said something so opposite, because he's a great man of the Word. He said, because that's the best place God can kill you. And God can make you look like Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit can transform you to walk and talk like Jesus and make you kind and compassionate and merciful and good and and, and walk after him. He'll break you there. He'll kill you there. He'll destroy you then, and then he'll raise you back up to look like Jesus. Come on, somebody. I remember being such a young thing, thinking, wow, that is not what I wanted to hear. And then my heart was revealed, and I'm not embarrassed to tell you what I thought. I'm 55 now, and thank you, God. So much of those young, I want to be a tsunami. My name and lots is gone. I now want to be the seed that goes deep into the soil. I was talking to two white people at a very uh, cultural wedding I performed yesterday at OCI in the heat. That's another story it Was so hot people. And um, they were asking me about my ministry. They had been impressed by the way the got it done through me during the wedding anyway. And they asked me how I got to the place I did and what I did. They were from Georgia and I told them about Queen for a day. And then I just went to preach to them about how important it is to make your life matter for eternity. How important it is to do the things that now we don't want to be in lights. Say I can and I will make a difference. Yes you can. Can one man or woman make a difference? Oh no Father Maxman Colby. Bob McAllister Henrietta Mears. Mrs. Lee, think about them. You say, well, I'm not qualified. Yes, you are. Yes, you with all your frailties, your weaknesses, the things you think you got right, the things you think that are out of line with God's word. Yes, you, 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 you and me, every one of us weak, human, frailing of people. We are the right people called, and we can make a difference And sometime you've just got to put that seed and rest in God because he will give you harvest moments. Jennifer, you will see moments that you've made a difference. You will see moments God will pull back the veil down there at the Justice Center, Officer Parker, and you will see you've made a huge difference. But there will be a lot of seeds that you have planted, a lot of things that you have done, and a lot of things that you have given that you will just have to trust him that what you did, you did for Christ. Greater love hath no man or woman than to lay down their life and give of themselves and be a water raindrop. Instead of saying, I want to be a tsunami. I want my name in lights. No, I just want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in my church because God called you to your church. I want to make a difference in my community because he's called you to your community. I want to make a difference in my family because he's called you to your church. I wonder what God might do through you. Until you see the harvest, I encourage you to stay firm in the soil. Let me tell you about your God and what he can do through you. And this is where we'll end up and pray for you. In the genesis of time, which means in the beginning, this God, you can trust him with what he's doing in your life because he breathed. He breathed into a handful of dirt and a mass became a living soul. That's a mighty miracle that scientific minds cannot grasp or explain thousand years after the fact. He separated the day from the night and he flung the glittering stars against the blue velvet of the night. He set the sun ablaze, his version of the eternal flame. He holds the seven seas in the palm of his hand. He is the shepherd of the stars for he calls them by name. He measures space with the span of his hands and at the blast of his nostrils he can split the cedars, means the trees of Lebanon in the forest. He is the God of might and miracles. He's a God of grace and glory. He is the God of power and patience and he is God wanting to help you. He breathed life into a 90 year old dead woman named Sarah and gave her reproductive power so she could produce Isaac. Her husband Abraham was 100 years old. But Abraham went home and told Sarah, I've had a visit with the Lord and we're going to have a son. Sarah laughed. I think you would laugh too when you're 90 years old having a bald headed baby with a megaphone mouth and bionic lungs. It's not number one on your to-do list. Think about it. Nevertheless, when God says it's going to happen, it's on His timetable, and it will. This God we serve parted the Red Sea for Moses and the children of Israel as they walked across the sea on dry ground. He rained down manna for heaven from heaven for 40 years for their provision. He caused sufficient water to gush from a rock in a barren wilderness. He held the sun still for Joshua as the children of Israel fought on a military victory in the valley. He muzzled the lions of the Daniel in the, of the lions in the Daniel den. He walked in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrew children who would not bend, bow or burn to their idols of the world. His son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was born in the womb of a virgin, defying medical science and agnostics. He was a miracle for ages. This son of the almighty God, he healed. He saw moments that the lame, the deaf and the blind were healed. He saw the leper and the disease get up and walk again. He healed the paralytic with nerve disorders. He healed one on one and he healed the masses and this same Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever. What he did on the shores of the galley. Come on somebody. He can do for you and through you right here in this moment. He can do it cause he wants to do it. Stand all over this house and give Jesus your best hand clap of praise. Come on. Come on somebody give Jesus and our mighty God praise. Your life, I'm going to pray for you, is on schedule. What he's doing in you and through you. Don't look to be a tsunami. Look to make a difference where you are. It gets sweeter. The great movie War Room was written about a 91-year-old white woman. A beautiful black woman plays the part. It was her Bible they used. I bet when she prayed, the Kendrick brothers who have written so many great movies, Face of the Giant, all of them, all of them were. She was their prayer intercessor. I'm sure as she walked the floor with her Bible like some of us do, she wondered, would she ever see the dreams of her prayers come true? But then God rose up, and you can go online and see when the Kendrick brothers saw for the first time, let her see where that woman carried that Bible in the movie, and she's just weeping and rejoicing and thanking God your life matters. There will be moments you will see the harvest, but there will be most of the moments you'll be down in the dark soil, and you'll have to wonder, but listen to me. Every time you engage in the battle, Every time you resist sin. Every time you proclaim the gospel, every time you give a portion of your resources for the spread of the kingdom, every time you offer a cup of cold water in the Lord Jesus Christ's name, every time you wait on the Lord in the soil and the seed, the opening gets larger and God cracks the darkness a little bit more back and he pushes the light in into your life, into others' life. So once you lift your hands right where you stand or put your hand on your heart, whatever works, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man and woman in this room every young person every child in the children's ministry every sound man every worship leader every brother and sister i have in this room lord we are the ones that can make a difference we are the history makers we have been called for a purpose there's so many times we can't see what you're doing in us causing us changing our shape just like the seed